Hi, thanks for listening to episode three of Benched. This is your host, Jules Makia, and I'm so excited to have Sue Walsh on the podcast today. So thank you, Sue, for taking the time to join us. Of course, Jules, I'm, I'm really excited about this. I'm really proud of what you're doing. This is pretty exciting. I appreciate it, um, and I'll g- give a little introduction on Sue. So Sue is a former Tar Heel swimmer and Olympian. Sue currently works for the Rams Club as the Associate Executive Director of Scholarship and Legacy Gifts with a current focus on the Forever Tar Heels Women's Initiative. Um, and I stole this little quote off of your bio on the Rams Club because I thought it was a really good quote just to give people some background on how awesome you are. So um, Sue is arguably the greatest swimmer in Carolina history, graduated Phi Beta Kappa from UNC in 1984 with a degree in business administration and accounting. During her time as a swimmer for Carolina, Sue was an 11-time AIAW slash NCAA national champion named to the 1980 U.S. Olympic team, selected as a Patterson Medal recipient and inducted into the Verizon Academic all-American Hall of Fame and the North Carolina Sports Hall of Fame. So extremely impressive resume and a great person. I, can, I couldn't speak more highly of you, so I'm just so excited to have this conversation today. Thanks so much, Jules. Um, you know, I honestly forget about a lot of those things because my, um, I guess, true joy is, one, being a mom, having three kids, and working at such a great university and being able to support our student-athletes. So those are the things I'm probably the most proud of accomplishing. Yeah, and I'm sure it's like the best feeling to come back and be able to give back to your alma mater. So definitely, um, that's pretty fantastic. And kind of going along with that, I think this would be a good place for you to just tell your Carolina story and how like you got into swimming and then how you ended up um, with a scholarship to Carolina. Well, it, it's probably not the story that most um, athletes uh, begin their career um, with, but I believe I was around eight years old. I was full of energy. I was the last of five kids. I think my parents were looking for something to have me do (laughs) and get me out of the house. And so they signed me up for um, the swim team and I didn't like it at all at first. I wanted to quit. I wanted to have nothing to do with it. And thankfully my parents were a lot wiser than I was um, and um, encouraged me to try it for about two weeks if I didn't like it. Apparently, they would let me stop, um, but I think they knew in their hearts that eventually I would find it was something that I enjoyed, which I, of course, did, um, and it, it, it was really very humbling um, because I wasn't very good at all. Um, I found myself a lot of times um, going to the locker room, um, wondering why I was doing it and having my mom come down and um, encourage me, not in a way that forced me to do it, but just trying to help me understand that, you know, sometimes um, the best lessons are learned through things that you find challenging. And so um, I'm glad that I I heeded their advice. Mm -hmm. So how did you decide on Carolina and like, how was your decision there? And then what was your experience when you first got here? Were you excited? Were you nervous or... So I, I looked at Michigan, and I looked at Carolina, and I looked at Notre Dame. Um, and so when I came to campus and visited here, and you hear this all the time, and I don't mean for it to sound trite, but I just fell in love with the school. I fell in love with the campus. Um, I, I noticed the little things. You know, you're on an elevator, and people aren't looking to the side or up or down. They're actually having a conversation with you and engaging you, and it was just a different feeling to be in the South. Um, and you always hear it's, you know, the bell, the well, 
um, and most importantly, the people. And I just felt like I would fit in well um, because I could be challenged academically um, as well as hopefully make an impact on the swimming program and, and perhaps take it to the next level. So I was, it truly was the best decision I've ever made. Oh, that story definitely makes me smile. I definitely understand like the feeling you, you're talking about. I think that's a like very well understood thing by our all Tar Heels that like you step on campus and like you go to so many schools and, and they're all beautiful, but there is something that's just different about Carolina and it's, it's a special feeling. Um, but going along too with what you're saying, you were hoping to make an impact. I think you definitely did that. I was curious, um, what was your favorite moment as a student, but then also what was your favorite like athletic achievement or athletic moment? It's really hard sometimes to identify one. Um, I would say as a student, it was probably rushing Franklin Street after a men's basketball national championship. I think, too, it was the professors that I was exposed to. Um, I remember my, I think it was my freshman year, I had an accounting professor and um, one of those big lecture halls, um, I think it was Carroll Hall, and I went up to speak to him after class, after one of the first classes, just to explain I'm a student athlete, there may be times that I may have to miss, but I'll be sure to, you know, get the work, make it up, et cetera. And I'm not sure that he was um, overly um, sure that student athletes were really committed to the, to the student part um, and sort of challenged me. He's like, well, what did you get on your first exam? And I was like a 98. Um, <laughs> and so we started talking and then I think he realized, okay, um, that we, we are multidimensional. We aren't just there for athletics, um, that we do push ourselves up, um, academically. And we actually became very, very good friends after that. But it was a good lesson in realizing that um, some people really don't understand what we're made of and the focus that we have. Yeah, that's actually really funny that you bring that up. There was a Tar Heel talk that was done a couple months ago, and they were talking about the same thing you were, that a lot of times athletes aren't taken seriously academically and are sometimes viewed that they're there for just sports. And I think that is such a, uh, or can be such a harmful um, kind of stereotype because in many cases, it's fa that's far from the truth. And a lot of athletes decide to come to Carolina, not just because of the fantastic sports, but because of um, the academic rigor and, and what that means. But um, you were talking about rushing Franklin Street and considering um, with, with the Michael Jordan documentary that's going on now, I'm assuming you're referring to the 1982 yes. um, team. Have you been watching the Michael Jordan documentary? I have. Um, it's, it's really been very interesting because when Michael was here on campus, he was here when I was here. And so um, I don't know that I would say we were good friends, but definitely friends. Um, and he was on the 83 Pan Am game. Pan Am Games team, as was I, and so we got to spend some time together um, at that point, and um, it's been really interesting to watch, I mean, to, to see, um, see it from his perspective, you know, it's, I feel like I'm living through his lens, um, and just, I don't know, it's interesting to, to be an athlete at that level, and the things that um, you experience, good and, good and challenging, um, but just I found it very cap captivating it's hard mm -hmm. to not watch the whole thing <laughs> well and it's a little absurd too because we all call him Mike Mike Michael when he was here is is I didn't see him as anything different than the rest of us I mean he's 
another student athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just another student athlete <laughs> yeah. who turned out to be, you know, the best uh, basketball player in the world. Um, and uh, it's, I'm proud. I mean, I, I really feel like our university um, has represented well um, at all levels. And um, I think Carolina Blue really stands out. I think there are people all over um obviously United States and Europe and wherever that are Tar Heel fans mm-hmm. um, because of Michael and Mia and all the, the others that have done so well. Yeah, and I think something that I took away from it too was it's just kind of crazy to think that we're all part of this Tar Heel like alum fan and I was just like, wow, that's that's weird that I'm playing at the same university that like Michael Jordan did. That's something that I still am like, that's just such a strange thing to think about. Um but yeah, that's I I didn't put that together until you were talking through it, and then I was like, oh my goodness, like she was there during the the eighty two um, national championship. But um, moving kind of into the next question, and I, it kind of the last thing we were talking about too with what you're saying about academics and athletics. Um, I was wondering if you went through anything personally or had any struggles with the combination of being a student and an athlete. Sometimes people miss the fact that you are a person beyond your sport. I remember, um, maybe by my senior year, maybe when I came back to campus shortly thereafter, I was somewhere on Franklin Street and I heard someone say, oh, there's Sue Walsh the swimmer. And part of it made me proud and the other part thought, well, gosh, that's that's all they're identifying me as, as an athlete. Um, versus the person that I was, but um, I'm just glad that they recognized. <laughs> I'm not Michael Jordan, so, you know, that was um, a compliment, but um, anyway, I just, uh, I think, as you said earlier, that, that people don't understand um, that, it, that it is um, a commitment, but it's certainly one that's very wor- worthwhile, and I think each one of us would, would do it all over again. It's definitely something worthwhile, and I do agree completely that it does teach you life lessons. The next thing that we, uh, I was hoping that we could talk about was the 1980 boycott. Um, I know you recently actually were talking to um, a couple people about this same thing. And this was something I thought was very relevant just because, you know, the Olympics got deferred this year, obviously for different reasons, but Um, I'm not sure if I had mentioned it to you, but I've, I said to a couple of people when I first heard that they were going to be um, cutting short the winter sports season and then, of course, um, uh, ending the spring sports before they barely even got started, um, I found myself getting very irritable, um, inside at least, and I couldn't figure out why. And then it dawned on me that I understood what you all were going through. Um, and I think it brought back those memories of having um, dreams taken away from you from something that was out of your control. Um, so I, I guess at about 16, um, ended up making my first international trip and went to um, Berlin for the World Aquatics Championships. Um, and then um, as a 17-year-old, actually swam the fastest time in the world in 1979 in my 100 backstroke. So things were looking really good leading up to 1980. Um, and I felt like my chances were very good of making the team. Um, sometime, um, I guess around January, we started hearing rumors that um, the United States might, might boycott because the Soviet Union had invaded Afghanistan. And I just kept hoping and praying that um, 
those were just rumors in that um, either the Soviets would pull out, right? <laughs> um, or that the president would not make that decision or ultimately the Olympic Committee would not make that decision so we'd have the chance to compete. And I'll be honest, there are a lot of things that started going through my mind and not to be um, unpatriotic because I certainly think that um, you know, the president has the right to make those decisions and when people's lives are at stake, just as the Afghan people's lives were at stake, sometimes you have to um, make sacrifices. But I was trying to think, I live in Buffalo, New York. I'm very close to Canada. I wonder if I could quickly get Canadian, um, <laughs> uh, I could become a Canadian, um, which of course they boycotted as well. So that wouldn't have done me any good. But I was trying to find every which way. Someone asked me, well, could you have gone um, sort of as an individual? I don't even know if that was an option or not, but I can't imagine trying to um, make my way to Moscow as an 18-year-old um, and navigating, you know, trying to get tuned from the pool, et cetera. But um, it, it was really devastating. Um, I had actually um, taken additional classes my junior year in high school, doubled up some um, my first semester of my senior year so I could graduate a semester early from high school so that I could actually continue training and focus just on training and not be distracted um, by other things. And it was just really hard because I had given up um, my graduation, I had given up prom, a lot of those things that seniors in high school um, get to enjoy because I wanted to do everything I could to make sure um, that I could achieve my dream or at least put me in the position, the best position to achieve it and to have something like I said, outside of my control, um, take that away with no option. It wasn't like they were being delayed. We were not going. Um, and that was really, really hard. Um, and I remember, um, I think it was the local newspaper had interviewed my family and me, and you know, we expressed our disappointment, but certainly not in a um, disrespectful way. But we got a couple of calls from people saying that um, we were, communistic because we weren't in support of the president's decision. And I, I had no idea what all that meant. I'm, you know, 17 years old. Um, so it, it just was really, really um, hard um, because, as we all know, the Olympics come every four years. And so um, to have that dream um, squashed at that point just maybe very sad, but the good thing was I was 17. Um, I was going to be going to college to UNC, and so I knew that I would um, hopefully have another chance in four years, assuming you know everything still went well. I actually um, pulled out this picture. We did get to go to Washington D.C. I don't know if you can see this, but so I'm shaking the president's hand. Um, I'm not sure what was going through my mind, but it probably was not. I'm so glad to meet the president right now, um, but. I still feel like I'm an Olympian. I feel very proud um, that I would have had the chance to represent my country. Um, the neat thing was is that my father was a swimming official and um, had actually disqualified me in my first race as an eight-year-old. And until the day that he passed away, I argued with him that I didn't um, roll over on my stomach before I got to the wall and he shouldn't have disqualified me. Um, but he ended up actually being the turn judge in my lane for the 100 meters backstroke at Olympic trials. Um, so it was really a fun experience to have him down on the pool deck um, and be able to see me up close in person actually make the Olympic team. So that was a really special moment despite everything else. But, um, you know, it's, it's a tough thing when you sacrifice so much and then have that pulled away um, seemingly so quickly. Um, but, you know, again, it's one of those life lessons that 
it, it's okay to, to grieve, to be disappointed, to be angry, but at some point you need to um, look at the fact that it's, it's about the journey. It's not about just that one specific thing and um, heal and um, show people that you're not going to let this change who you are. The thing that I encourage um, any student-athletes I've spoken with is that you need to experience your emotions. I mean, don't ignore them. I mean, if you're angry, you're disappointed, you're anxious, you're frustrated, you're confused. I mean, you have to um, feel those, live those, but at some point you then have to redirect your energies and, and make sure that you're um, approaching this in a positive way. So, Yeah. Well, on a lighter note, and one I'm really excited to talk about, um, is the Forever Tar Heels campaign. Um, you're obviously leading the way with that, and I feel honored enough just to be part of it. I even wore my shirt. Me too. Uh, <laughs> oh, yay. <laughs> um, yeah, I feel very honored to be an advisory board member and just be a part of such an amazing thing. So I would love if you kind of gave the background about Forever Tar Heels so everyone can understand all of the wonderful things that it's sure. doing. Well, um, as you are well aware, we launched it formally last fall, um, and the mission is to champion and empower our Carolina women's student-athletes. We're going to do that through scholarships, through facilities for more robust leadership development, as well as career networking and mentoring opportunities. Um, You know, it was a couple of years ago, I was having a conversation with um, one of our consultants who is a female, and she asked if we... um, had been intentional in talking to female philanthropists and I had to say no. I mean, most of our conversations were with men. We certainly have women who are donors or donor couples, but we really weren't framing our conversations or our discussions um, specifically for women. Um, And it, it got me thinking. And so I started putting together a list of women that, you know, I felt like we needed to speak to about um, supporting, um, Carolina student-athletes, our female student-athletes in particular, but kind of put it on the back burner and thought, well, um, it'll be the 40th anniversary of Title IX in, I think it's 2022, um, and maybe we can start doing something with that um, at that point, but it just, it felt like the time was right. Um, The um, things that were being revealed through the Me Too movement and other things um, being brought to light um, of how, you know, women... Um, still don't have the same opportunities in many cases that men do. It was sort of a a proper alignment of the time was now, we really needed to do it. And we had a few other schools across the country that had already started a women's initiative and spoke to them and um, took what we liked about each of those because they all do it differently. Spoke to some of our student athletes um, and tried to find out what, what it was that we could do to make the Carolina experience even better. And one of the things um, that kept coming up was more career networking. But we really need to work together as a community, um, just like a team. You know, you can't have one person um, that's doing well and the rest of the team is kind of left behind because you're not going to win the game. You're not going to win the meet. We feel very good about the direction um, we're headed. Um, We feel like we're already having an impact. Um, As you are well aware, we recently had a mentor-mentee Zoom about leading um, during a crisis or during a pandemic um, and giving our student athletes, our female student athletes, um, greater resources that are going to help launch them hopefully into really successful careers once they leave this great place. Yeah, no, definitely. I've, 
I've, I've loved the mentor program. I have a fantastic mentor, Stephanie. She's been nothing but fantastic. It's, it's nice to hear you're going to be okay from someone other than your parents <laughs> Yes. Um, during this time. And she's really been helpful to me, not only career-wise, but personally. And I think just the bigger picture too is getting all these women like in one room together, like during the mentor event, it was like so powerful, so much fun. I think sums up in some ways, like what the program's about and especially the mentor mentee Very much program. so. Very, very much so, especially the whole community. And um, we mm-hmm. are the wolf pack. I mean, we're there to support each other and help each other succeed and grow. And yeah. So going along with that, um, what do you think, what do you think is the biggest impact you've seen so far with the campaign? Well, um, I think it is, if we're specifically talking about Forever Tar Heels, I would say that it is the, the mentoring program because I, I feel like it makes it real for the student athletes instead of just, as I call it, window dressing. Having those tangible things, those concrete things to show coaches and you all as student athletes that um, we really are committed to making your experience the best possible um, helps drive support in every aspect. The donors um, love to see their dollars at work. I know the coaches, um, of course, are always happy to get additional resources for what they need. And for you as student athletes to know that there are a lot of people that are supporting you, um, not just in your sport, but career-wise, I think um, is really going to be a a valuable resource for y'all going forward. Yeah, yeah, I think so as well. I think that's what's so cool is the opportunities it's providing even outside of sport. But moving into like our, our couple last little questions, mm-hmm. I think um, going along with like Forever Tar Heels and going along with everything that's happening in college and professional sports right now on the female side, what do you think the greatest issue facing female college sports right now? Um, and then what do you think the greatest issue facing uh, professional women's sports is there? And there can be an sure. overlap. Totally fine. Just interested to hear your perspective sure. on that. Um, I think I would look at it sort of globally and combine the two in that um, I think we've made great strides um, since Title IX. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm very proud of the fact that Carolina was the first school in the ACC to offer a scholarship to a female student athlete. Um, it was a tennis player. And, you know, we're always seemingly... Um, a pioneer in terms of championing women um, athletes. But I think that um, an area where everyone could really um, focus is the, um, what I would call attention that our women's sports get or don't as compared to the guys. Um, I think it's difficult to um, continue to uh, put in place the proper revenue if if games are played at a time where um, sponsors are going to benefit from, you know, watching a game at 8 p.m. instead of, you know, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, whatever the case may be. So I think that um, exposure or attention um, are areas where we could improve. I think, too, um, probably uh, respect in a lot of different ways, but I think in terms of governing boards or um, administration, I think women are making progress in terms of the positions that they are now being awarded or earning, um, but there's still a long way to go. Um, I think especially at the professional level, the international level. Um, and as we all know, I think um, in particular with the professional um, 
athletes is compensation. I mean, that's um, something that's been dis- discussed a lot lately. And hopefully um, at some point there'll be some momentum um, in female student athletes' favor with regards to that in particular. Yeah, I um, actually wrote down as we were talking Abby Wombat quote from the, her book. I remember getting to the like it was towards the end and she was talking about standing on stage with these phenomenal male athletes and then being a phenomenal um, athlete herself and how she was like the one thing that was different between me and them was that they were moving into the next phase of their life life with financial security and I am not. And I think it goes back to kind of what you were saying with um, respect and I think it's a cultural thing. I think it's women's sports are still not appreciated as much as men's sports because women are still not appreciated as much as men. And I think sports highlight highlights that um, toxic part of our culture that women still aren't viewed as being equal. And that's why women's sports are not viewed as being as good as men. And I think that is what needs to change. It's very sad. And, and I think we are moving in that direction, um, which is a good sign, but there is still a lot of work to do, like you said. So hopefully we'll see some change coming up. And I think the Forever Tar Heels campaign is one of those things that will make those changes and is, like you said, championing um, female student athletes. But I, so. do hope, I do hope that that's a side benefit of the initiative because um, some of the ways that we hope to steward donors um, to Forever Tar Heels is through experiences or access. So getting them to come to games and listening to play-by-play by a former, you know, well-known um, student athlete like Christine Lilly or something, or that recent study about, you know, 95, 96% of women in C-suite positions play a sport in, in high school or college. So get your kids involved. And so I think the more that um, parents realize the benefits, um, there's going to be much more interest in um, and people coming to watch the games. Hopefully this um, initiative will get things moving in that direction as well. Yeah, I agree. And I think the initiative also does a great job of highlighting how successful all of these athletes are off the field, mm-hmm. off the water, whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think it's great. And I think it's going to really make a difference, not only in, in my experience and my friend's experience, but um, for the future. So that's exciting. But I think that's about it, and I was so excited to have you on, and I really appreciate you taking the time um, to come on and and talk about all these different things, and thank you. I do admire the work that you're doing and um, appreciate the opportunity to share my story, and and hopefully um, perhaps it'll um, motivate someone else um, to get involved and to um, either... uh, participate themselves as a student athlete or to support um, those that are and um, and hopefully it'll be a win-win for everybody yeah well thank you and thank you everyone for tuning in to episode three of benched with our wonderful guest sue walsh and me your host jules mckia thanks for listening thank you we're all forever tar heels <laughs>